Welcome to the Journey Ahead podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. I'm Tom from Volume 1, which presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, with support from our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Here's your host, Lisa Wells. I'm Lisa Wells, Dementia Care Specialist with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, and you're listening to a podcast on aging well in the Chippewa Valley. The goal of the podcast is to provide education about aging well, living with dementia, and staying active and healthy in the community. So thank you for joining us today. Today we will discuss lessons learned from a family caregiver. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter said there are only four kinds of people in the world those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. Well, if that's the case, are we ever really prepared to be a caregiver? Here, here with us today is Larry Stute, former caregiver for his wife, Rachel, who was living with a rare form of young onset dementia, progressive supernuclear palsy. Uh, thank you for being with us uh, today, uh, Larry. My pleasure. So that's that's a kind of a long word and that's a word that you don't hear a whole lot about a type of dementia that we certainly don't hear a lot about so can you share a little bit bit about how Rachel was diagnosed and what is PSP sure I can do that Um, PSP or progressive supranuclear palsy is kind of a spectrum of many diseases kind of put together it has some Parkinson's in it it has some memory issues and dementia and there's different subtypes Um, She was diagnosed initially with Parkinsonism. She was falling um, and had her balance issues. And we didn't know those things right away. Um, And then it got diagnosed as frontotemporal dementia based on some other features. And then eventually the progressive supranuclear palsy. So her symptoms are mainly uh, issues with falling and balance, um, executive Uh, functioning issues for example cooking Mm -hmm. we didn't pick up on those right away but she started burning things and that wasn't it wasn't a light switch it was more progressive Mm -hmm. and then excessive apathy just not wanting to do much Mm -hmm. and so when some of these symptoms first started happening did you or did she kind of like blow them off as though I'm getting older or you just really knew that something something's just not right yeah she was blowing them off mainly and Mm -hmm. and i would too probably is winter and the first time we saw her fall was at a basketball game she was going Mm -hmm. up some bleachers and fell and then she said well i've been falling for six months so then Mm -hmm. we kind of then we started thinking about we could see that she was shuffling her gait a little bit and the cooking stuff and then it kind of came together that something might be going on Mm mm-hmm is this something that's um, that takes a while to be diagnosed? Is it something that you have to go to a special clinic, or I mean, we just don't hear about it. And and so how how what's that like? Yeah, we had to go several places, and we won't know for sure that she had this until we were part of a study eventually. That mm-hmm. um, when she passed away recently, they can do a brain. They do mm-hmm. brain scans and some brain biopsies, and we'll know for sure. Mm-hmm. And then they can put that together with her symptoms and see if that can help future patients. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we started with our no- local neurologist, and they put her on the correct medications for Parkinson's. And through some connections, someone mentioned maybe going to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, which we did, and they gave us a more specific diagnosis. And then I had some connections through the uh, some work I'd done with the Eau Claire County uh, Dementia Coalition in San Francisco, so we were part of a study 
in uh, San Francisco two summers ago. And um, as part of that study, they gave us their uh, their diagnosis, what they thought based on all the tests that she had done. Mm-hmm. Now, is this something that's um, genetic or does it run in families? Did she have anybody else that, you know, along the lines sure. were, that, good. that had this? Yeah, mm-hmm. Good question. So we asked that question because her father had Alzheimer's, we're fairly certain. He didn't mm-hmm. have a brain biopsy at the, uh, after his passing. So we don't know for sure, but his symptoms were pretty classic uh, Alzheimer's. Um, so in her case, um, it's not genetic. There's a, there's a couple rare circumstances with some exposures in an agricultural setting, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. that may have some genetic components, but they did not feel that she did or her family would. But they did some tests that will take several months to years to, to process to let mm-hmm. us know down the road. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned a little bit about, you know, she was falling, um, and some of these other symptoms. And so how did that how did that affect her daily life as well as yours? Was she working? Um, so w- tell me, talk a little bit about your story. Yeah, um, she was uh, working, but not officially. She's a homemaker, and that's mm-hmm. one of the hardest jobs ever. Absolutely, <laughs> Which Absolutely. I found out very shortly after mm-hmm. that. Um, and you know, it, it's, it was a difficult time for our kids especially, mm. and myself, because mm-hmm. they're, they were teenagers or just after teenage them. And, and her relationship with them was, I would say, strained because I think she was trying to control what she couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that rubbed the, the kids the wrong way and sure. they, they thought something was really up, not medically, they just thought mm-hmm. she was being just different. Mm-hmm. And they were teenagers too. They are so, teenagers yeah. too, and hopefully they won't listen. No, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, and then I think it was uh, when we started figuring out something was going on, there was a definite transition between, well, mom was just being not very nice to something's up. So there, it, mm-hmm. it, it took a while for that to really set in for them. But there was a struggle at home trying to um, keep her safe from trying to cook things and trying mm-hmm. to uh, make sure she wasn't falling. And, and there was a real struggle for her to acknowledge something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the initial thing. And then once I think people were telling her something was up, then I think she was she got more, um, she accepted that a little bit more mm-hmm. and we took over. So it was a definite strain on the family. Mm-hmm. So what were some of your, what were some of your biggest hurdles after the diagnosis yeah. and, you know, living day-to-day life? Right. Biggest hurdles, um, the family stuff was mm-hmm. a big one, trying to, you know, help the kids get through their emotions and what's going on with mom and that kind of thing. Um, and then I work full time, so trying to be safe at home and try to convince my wife not to cook without me or mm-hmm. and try to say it's, it's a together thing. And once we got past that, it worked fairly well. And then as things were progressively getting worse after she'd fallen and broken some, some bones and things and had to be mm-hmm. hospitalized, then we uh, enlisted some help, and that was that was helpful during the day to have someone present, so I wouldn't have to worry about her. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a type of um, on you know young onset dementia, where there there was obviously memory memory issues. Yes. Um, judgment. Yes. Reasoning, correct? Is that kind of that is correct? The flow of it. Yep. Was that right away? I can't remember. Did you say that was right away, or was that a little later on? It was not as much okay. right away. Mm-hmm. It was little things, little things that just seemed out of place. I could give examples, but I don't want to 
push, mm-hmm. put her under the sure. rug too oh, much. Sure, but, sure, yeah. But just emails, it just didn't make sense that mm-hmm. something you wouldn't, not anything bad, it's just mm-hmm. something you wouldn't ask in an email. It was something that was pretty straightforward already. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things we just weren't sure of initially. And then as time progressed and we knew something was going on, then there was more, some more just judgment things that we could say. We, we called the the disease, they frequently say you should call it something. So we called it Polly Sue Perkins was our name. So PSP. Okay. And Polly Mm -hmm. Sue is a long story. We went on a, we went on a a ghost tour in Niagara Falls and there was a ghost named Sarah Ann, but I can't remember people's names. So I call her Polly Sue. Okay. Okay. So we called her Polly Sue Perkins and Mm -hmm. said, well, that's Polly Sue. She's, she's telling your brain something different. And, Mm -hmm. and that worked fairly well for a while. Mm -hmm. Sure. Gosh. So, you know, as a caregiver, you know, what are some things that you can share with other family members that would be, you know, you use resources and are there a lot of resources out there for, I mean, somebody with, with PSP to begin with? There are some, um, there's a, there for PSP, there's a nice website, especially with mm-hmm. the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. we were doing some, eventually once she accepted a diagnosis of PSP, they had some nice virtual um, caregiver, kind of caregiver and nuance at PSP kind mm-hmm. of uh, groups that they did through Zoom or something like mm-hmm. that. And we would sit on our back porch and do those. And, and that was very helpful. Um, there's certainly lots of local resources here in, in the Chippewa Valley that only, mainly for caregivers, but also for, for the people with the disease too. And we mm-hmm. use those quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Did you find that was helpful for? It was very helpful. Mm-hmm. For her too? Yes, I mean it was a little more difficult with the pandemic, but right. Um, yeah, I think so. We mainly um, things we needed, mm-hmm. and I think down the road, if the pandemic wasn't around, then we could, you know, maybe there'd be some support groups and some things like some daycares that we could have used too. Yeah, yeah, we know that that's been a real problem this this past year with things being closed down. So it's been a real struggle for for so many caregivers. Right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, um, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about maybe some lessons and maybe some things that, that would be good for, you know, certainly other family caregivers to, to know about. Okay, great. Thank you. I want to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, All Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Mobility challenges don't have to mean leaving the home that you love. All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions specializes in residential and commercial elevators, stairlifts, scooters, and more. The All-Star team offers a free home assessment, and they can help you find the products you need to get around your home and the rest of the world safely and effectively. For example, they have more than 100 scooters in stock. You'll be sure to find one that meets your needs. You'll find All-Star right here in the Chippewa Valley on Halley Road in Chippewa Falls, and they've got locations in Hudson and La Crosse, too. Learn more by calling All-Star at 715-598-7511 or by visiting allstarmobilityllc.com or allstarelevatorllc.com. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, welcome back. We have Larry Stute with us today. He's a former caregiver for his wife, Rachel, and she was living with a very rare form of young onset dementia called super, progressive supralunicular palsy. That's really hard to say, Larry. It is hard to say. Um, so we, we'll just say PSP. <laughs> um, so I want to hear from you on some things that would be helpful 
to share with other caregivers. And one thing that we were talking a little bit during the break was, you know, accepting help. That's really a tough one for so many. And maybe you can share some things on on why that's just so important. Sure. And I, uh, when this first started, I, I think accepting help was a big step for me. And, and sometimes it's it can be overwhelming. So a lot of the the books and the things I read um, about PSP and about dementia focused on the disease, but there was always a section about caregiving. Mm-hmm. Lots of good advice. Um, you know, they often would say something like, if you get a lot of support, sometimes you could have someone you trust help organize that support, whether it be food or whether mm-hmm. it be someone that if some people are coming over to spend time with your loved one, someone else to organize it. Cause that's Accepting help is one thing, and once you get past that you need help and you can accept it, then sometimes it comes in, in lots of waves, and that becomes another stress. Mm-hmm. And so that was uh, something I learned. Um, I think it's also important to know what your resources are, but at the time, I remember when we first, after she fell, and we went to the doctor and got a couple things, medications going, then I was like, I need to go to the ADRC and, and get information, and the ADRC is a wonderful place I just wasn't ready for the information mm. I got. It was mm-hmm. it was too early, and and I didn't know what to ask. And I think so. Do you regret that at all that you I, waited, or I don't regret okay going, but I just I just didn't I wasn't I didn't know what I needed, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I think I kind of think about my job, and and I'm a physician, and I often will have patients where I'm not sure what or where they're at in the place that their 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 problem. And so sometimes just listening and trying to figure that out takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if you don't know, then you have to kind of help them. So I think in retrospect, um, I think I wouldn't want it. I probably should have waited just a little longer. Mm-hmm. Sure. But at least you knew you knew oh, that the yes. ADRC was there. So yes. that, that was good to know. And then once I had specific things like, okay, uh, do you have any um, bath aids? Do you have any mm-hmm. that specific thing? Or when we were ready to go for the, the financial support piece, um, mm-hmm. Once I was ready for those specific things, then it was much more beneficial. How about guilt? Oh. That's <laughs> I hear that one all the time. Did you have any of that? I still have guilt over mm. many things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guilt over, um, boy, I could make a whole list of things. Mm-hmm. So the feelings and emotions that we had prior to a diagnosis were, were very difficult. As a, as a parent, as a spouse, mm-hmm. Um, and now that I know something was going on, that's a, that's, that's a real big guilt there. Mm-hmm. And then there were some cho- choices we made um, because of the pandemic, and uh, you can second-guess yourself many times. Sure. And the problem is, is either choice is not a good choice. Mm-hmm. So you, no matter what we chose, you feel guilt about it. Mm-hmm. So there was, it was a no-win situation. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's the case for, I mean, all caregivers that, you know, guilt is just something that, that we're all, that we're all going to face, we're all going to have. Absolutely. I can think of another example. I, when my, my father-in-law was undergoing his dementia before he was placed in a memory care facility, uh, my wife and I used to um, just, we were flabbergasted at how his wife would treat her, would treat him. Um, sometimes belittling him, sometimes mm. looking very angry. Um, but I exhibited some of the same kind of characteristics. Mm. So I remember driving her home 
from a visit and I said, I just have to apologize. I, I, I felt you were doing things incorrectly, but I've done the same mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult controlling your emotions. Mm-hmm. And so how do you overcome that? How do you overcome that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough question, huh? You How know, do you get through that? You just have, I guess, for me, it's talking to people. I have a mm-hmm. couple of good friends that I confide with, one via email, one in, in person or over the over email or something. I have a counselor, and um, mm-hmm. that helps me. And it's, a, it's not a normal thing to go to take care of someone, even though it's very common. It's just not something you expect, and, mm-hmm. and they're very difficult decisions. And if you work, even if you don't work, sometimes your loved one might tell you they hate you. Sometimes mm-hmm. they, the next minute they'll say they love you and the next minute they drop something and then the dog does something. And then it's, I tell lots of people that, you know, you're in a stressful situation, but life around you continues. It mm-hmm. doesn't stop. Right. And so with all this going on, working, kids, everything, were you able to do any self-care? Um, a lot of people told me to. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what we always tell people. Oh, you just you just have to take care of yourself, you know, right. because if you take care of yourself, then you'll be a better caregiver. But when you're in the thick of things, yeah, that's really hard to do. It's very difficult. Um, I used to run. Um, I would try to run three or four times a week, and I haven't done that for a while. Um, I would go for walks with the dogs and try to do something, try to read. Oftentimes, the time I would use to take care of myself was. Um, when I should be sleeping, because mm-hmm. that was the only time I really had. I think once we got plugged into palliative care and we got plugged into ADRC and we had some volunteers before the pandemic who would come and then I would, sometimes I would do work, which was the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. So then I would go to a coffee shop or, or just go for a walk or for a run or something. And I should have done more of that, but it was just kind of difficult to do. But the, the, the stuff I did was very helpful. Mm-hmm. When you say it was just difficult, was it because just the overwhelming feeling, everything going on? I mean, I got to believe that when you did do those things, you felt better. It did make me feel better, but it was always usually at the expense of something else. Okay. I mean, sometimes I'd take a nap or sometimes I'd I'd be like, should I do something? Or or then you're guilty because you are doing something. And Mm -hmm. so it's the emotions that go, I I can't describe. They're just so all over the boat, all Mm -hmm. over the place. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something um, I think it's important for people to know because not a lot of people do, but palliative care. That's a, was that, did you find that to be pretty helpful for you? Very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, As a physician, I always thought palliative care and hospice were the same thing, Mm -hmm. and they're just not. And it was an ADR, it was an Eau Claire Dementia Coalition meeting. Mm -hmm. Someone spoke about palliative care. I was like, well, why aren't we doing that? Mm -hmm. So I'm very happy I was there. And then I called palliative care, and they were very, came and did assessments, and we had some uh, therapy for a while. We had some uh, nurse come. Mm-hmm. And I would oftentimes use that time to do something as as for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was time I could do something as well. So, yeah, I, I I tell folks that palliative care is really that extra layer of support, right. that added support. And so, and you talked about that you were able to get a little bit of a break then yes. too. So it's just so important that people can access that, and they can really access that at any time during a disease process. They correct? can. So you don't have to like be end of life or correct. Okay. And that was something that you were able to use. Did you, did you get that like in the very beginning or was it more towards the end or? It was kind of in the middle. I think once, um, once you found out about it, once we found out and then she had fallen first, she broke her ankle. That was, that was, we had some therapy that wasn't through palliative care. That was through uh, home health care. 
And then after she fell and broke her neck and it wasn't severe, thankfully, in her mm, upper mm-hmm. back, um, we had some home care, but then the palliative care became more of a, it was right around that time we started doing that. So very helpful. Mm-hmm. So Larry, can you share, um, do you think that there's, I mean, we have to believe this. I, I, I think we all do, but you know, how can we share hope and um, encourage family caregivers that maybe it's not um, PSP, but maybe it's another type of dementia, maybe mm-hmm. it's cancer, maybe it's something else, you know, how can we, what are your thoughts on, you know, how can we bring hope? How can we bring hope? Yeah. Is yeah. that a tough question? That's a tough it's, question, isn't it? <laughs> right right now. It's very tough. But mm-hmm. I think um, since Rachel recently passed away, that's been a challenge for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hope, and we believe that she's in a better place. Mm-hmm. We believe that she doesn't have the disease anymore, and she's doing all the activities she couldn't do before. Mm-hmm. So she's playing piano and and reading and going hiking with her dad and just doing a whole bunch of stuff that she can't, she couldn't do before. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of caregiving, uh, if I go back a year from now, I really didn't think that way. Is more right. putting out fires as they came up and. Mm-hmm. I think the hope that I got back then was all the support we had. Even during the pandemic, we would, we couldn't have people over and we didn't want to and wanted to be safe, but people would call or we would do FaceTiming or we would um, do family activities and to see how the kids really rallied around their mom was very, was very hopeful. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go back a little bit. Um, can you maybe share some things about you know a lot of times when people are saying i'll be talking with family members and i'll suggest to them that you know maybe make a list of things that would be helpful to you and when somebody calls and says because we do that we people want to help and they they might say that hey what can i do you know i want to i want to help and you're like oh you know i don't know but i encourage families to you know make a list and so and not be afraid that when somebody does ask to to let them, because it's a gift. It is a gift. Yeah, right? I, I think mm-hmm. that's a great idea to have a list. We maybe didn't have a physical list, and part of it was the pandemic was a mm-hmm. kind of a. But if we wouldn't have had, you know, restrictions that way, I think we would have had a. I would have. I had identified someone to be that go-to person to help organize things if we needed, you know. So I didn't have to do it. So mm-hmm. visitors to come just have a chat with her, and we had some good friends. Um, from the area would come and have coffee once a week when we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and when there was a crisis, people would make meals for us. And, mm-hmm. and I tried to keep people um, up on the situation on caring bridge is a nice thing. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to email tons of people. Sure. And the, even with the restrictions we've had, um, the help we've had has been great. And I agree, it's good to have a list of things. If someone says, what can I do? You're, if you don't know, you're just kind of overwhelmed. Right. And even if it's something as simple as, um, you know, if you go to the grocery store, could you pick me up some milk or you right. know, just something simple like that? Or, right. you know, if it snows, can you shovel for me? Or, right. you know, just some things like that can be so helpful. And I know for myself, I've been a caregiver and I, and I know that that's been, that's been helpful. So very helpful. Well, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to finish up with um, Larry and just talk a little bit about maybe one or two things that maybe you, that you could um, share with, if, if you had a brand new caregiver in your office, what, what are the first couple of things you'd tell them, okay? Okay. All right.
We'll get back to the podcast in a minute, but first I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory. We're excited to have their support for the podcast because just like us, they're locally owned and operated. If you or someone you care about needs medical equipment or supplies, wheelchairs, walkers, hospital beds, portable oxygen concentrators, even CPAPs and BiPAPs, Grace Home Respiratory is right there to help. They're committed to helping you live a life of independence. They realize that shopping for the specialty medical products you need can be a challenge, which is why being locally owned and operated is key. They do everything in-house from their location right in Altoona. So if you have a question about billing or anything else, you know you'll be talking to someone from just down the road. Find out more about Grace Home Respiratory online at ghr-ec.com, or you can call them toll-free at 877-230-1622. Now, back to the podcast. Well, welcome back, and we're going to finish up here with Larry talking about uh, some lessons learned from being a family caregiver. And so just to finish up, Larry, you know, if you had somebody that came to you, maybe your neighbor, or maybe it was somebody that came to your office, and they they just um, became a caregiver, what what would you what would you say to them? Sure, that just actually happened a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I practice a different type of medicine with occupations and things, but oftentimes you hear about people's stories and such. And a patient um, kind of made some hints that she was in a caregiving situation. Um, so we talked a little bit about that, and I could see in her eyes the look of, I don't know, fear and just being overwhelmed with things. Mm-hmm. So as a caregiver trying to be in her shoes, I, you know, I think I had someone tell me very early on um, that this is a this is a journey mm-hmm. and it's a long journey. I often compare it to, as I used to run, I ran and walked a few marathons. It's like being thrown down in the middle of a race. Mm-hmm. Um, you haven't had any training or very little training. Mm-hmm. You don't know how far the race is. You don't know where you're at on the course. And I often tell people that the way you navigate this course is is try to find people to cheer you on. So those are the people, if you've run in a race or been to a race, the people on the sidelines that are mm-hmm. cheering you or mm-hmm. ringing the bells or whatever. And those people are very helpful and those may be your, your people around you. So one thing I would tell them is, to rally the troops. It's good mm. early on to let your family know what's going on, um, let your friends know what's going on. In our situation, that was done with different email addresses because my wife was very resistant at first mm-hmm. that something was wrong. So my initial meeting with the ADRC was done on my own time and I didn't tell her. And and it felt kind of, it was, I think someone calls that some sort of it's, uh, I can't remember, it's some sort of lying, but it's a good form of lying, mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. compassionate lying or something. Um, therapeutic fibbing. Therapeutic fibbing, mm-hmm. that's it, yes. So I did a lot of that. Um, so rally the troops, get your people that, that let them know what's going on. Most of the folks when we did that, when I did that, said they knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. They could tell a difference. And I think because we were with her every day, we didn't see it as much. Mm-hmm. So those people will be very important as you go along. And include them if you can, your friends and family, and 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 try to keep on the same page with them and let them know what's going on. And and down the road, those are the people that will cheer you on when mm-hmm. you're running that race. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing is if you have time to talk to some other caregivers, if you can find a support group. I'm uh, I didn't go very often because it wouldn't work with my schedule, but mm-hmm. I go at a men's caregiver group, which is very helpful. 
Um, now I'm kind of the person giving advice, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of strange. Mm-hmm. But so you're still going? Yeah, I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's every two weeks. Yeah, mm-hmm. still go. Mm-hmm. And it's odd for me. Those people are. Those guys are great guys. They're all 30 years older than me, which mm-hmm. is strange, or mm-hmm. maybe 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are some people that have been through it before. It can be overwhelming, but those are people you can call. Those are people you can um, ask questions and get some ideas from. Mm-hmm. And then if the ADRC or some other resource that you find, um, you should use those. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's some good advice, Larry. And I, I know one thing that I hear too from families sometimes is that it's really kind of hard to tell other family members. It's it's hard to tell friends because for some it might be embarrassing. It might be you know there's that stigma still. There is. Yeah. If if that's a difficult one, do you think it's still important that they, event well eventually they're going to have to. But yeah, I um, think it's still important. Um, mm-hmm. Email is a nice way to do that because you don't have to do it in person. Right, sometimes, right. That's a little bit easier. It's easier, but um, I th- I can see how that. I mean, there's some there's some stigma to that, but I think in in most situations, and I'm just generalizing from ours. Like I said, they all—they pretty much all knew something was up. They mm-hmm. just didn't know what it was, mm-hmm. and they were almost relieved to hear that there's something that they can pin that on. But then knowing what it is isn't the greatest thing either. Mm-hmm. But then, like I said, it kind of gives them a a purpose. Well, we know something's going on, and we couldn't really just say, "Hey, we think something's going on. Can we help?" Right. Now they say, "Gosh, something really is going on, and mm-hmm. what can we do?" Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Well, Larry, thank you so much for My pleasure. for for sharing a little bit about your story and some really good tips for family caregivers because we know, as I mentioned, what Rosalind Carter said in the beginning, we're all we're going to be there. We are, and someday we might need well, we might need one ourselves. We and might. So, I think the more prepared we are, um, I think the you know as we get along in things, you know, I've been doing this for 30 some years and there's certainly a lot more resources now than there ever has been before. Right. And so really accessing the resources that are out there. Uh, you mentioned a journey uh, mm-hmm. to not do this journey alone. Correct. Um, that you need uh, to have uh, others around. And even if for those who there's a lot of long distance caregivers that mm-hmm. might have a loved one in Florida or someplace else, but there's uh, resources in every state. Um, and like you mentioned too, some type of a, you know, a support group. And Mm -hmm. I think about too, for, for families or loved ones that don't have family, you know, that are alone and caring for somebody. And that can be very difficult too, but still some of the things you mentioned today can really apply as well. Um, you know, maybe rallying the troops might be uh, getting your medical team a little bit more Correct. involved, right? I yes. mean, getting, talking with them a, a little bit more. I um, mean, we know there are aging offices and ADRCs and uh, groups around. So right. um, I just appreciate everything you had to say today. You bet. Thank and you. Uh, thank you. Thank you again. I wish you well. You bet. Thanks. This is Tom from Volume One. Thanks again to Lisa and to her guest. And thanks to you for joining us for the Journey Ahead podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. Volume 1 presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, and it's all made possible by Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Learn more about this and our other podcasts at volume1.org.